What's a Revolution show. Show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's up, everybody? How you doing? What's going on? Hopefully everybody had a great week. They were doing their thing. It was a great, great weekend for me. I celebrated my birthday, uh, turned 27 for the 20th time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The 20th anniversary of my 27th birthday. It was a good time. I want to th- give a shout out to all the people that spent time with me during the week and weekend for the staff at the Drifter Hotel <laughs> and all of the people that decided to come out and celebrate my birthday, <laughs> even though they didn't know it at the Drifter. My good folks at Slice Pizza. You know, they keep a brother fed, especially for the last 13 years. So it it has been wonderful. This time, just want to give a shout out to Black Enterprise. Last week, um, they decided to award a brother with a a auspicious honor. I am one of their 100 men of distinction. So give a shout out to Alfred Edmonds, Tyrus Townsend, and Black Enterprise for that wonderful award and honor. Hopefully, I'll be able to go out to, where is that, um, where we go? Somewhere in Florida. Oh, I think it's Palm Springs. There, well, it's Fort Lauderdale. That's where it is. It's in Fort Lauderdale that they have the, the convening of the 100 brothers who have been recognized by Black Enterprise. So I am very, very honored. Thank you to everyone who reached out uh, to me, both for my birthday and for the award. I appreciate you. There is one thing that I want to say in my opening today is that you know, as you think about moving on to the next year, as, as many people have said, your turn around the sun. One of the things that I have learned over these 47 years is that it's time, especially during this period, to do a self-assessment. And that always seems to be hard for folks, you know, to send out four or five questions to the people that you love, and maybe even the people that don't love you, questions about how you can get better. And what does that mean? What have I done to be a good friend to you? What have I done not to be a good friend to you? What is something that irks you? You know, I actually asked that to Rachel one day. What is something that irks you? You didn't answer. No. (laughs) No, you didn't tell me the truth. But I think that it is an opportunity for you to grow. You know, as we do a show here about the healthiest versions of yourself, there's no other form of way to find out what really people think unless you ask the question. So I implore you to take five, ten minutes to come up with four or five questions and then email them out to your friends. If they're your true friends, they're going to answer answer those questions and send them back to you. It's a good critical analysis that helps you grow as you go around your next turn of the sun. So that's my little opening for today because I want to be able to spend as much time with the brother beside me as I can. Welcome to the show, this guy. <laughs> the president of the New Orleans City Council Council and the councilman at large for New Orleans, the, that's right, the Jason Williams. What's up, Jason? How you doing? What's up is happy belated birthday and congratulations on that honor, man. That is well-deserved. I'm proud of Black Enterprise. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, dear brother. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm just honored, man. You know, I'm just honored to have you in my 
in the what do I say in the booth? That's what we say in the booth in the room. I don't even feel like the room is big enough, you know. Oh, <laughs> now, now he's making fun of the size of my head. <laughs> I've been here no, for thirty seconds. Not at all. No, <laughs> not at all. Not 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 one big. I don't. I, I feel because of who you are, and people are gonna know if they don't know Jason Williams. Hopefully, by the end of the show, they know how great of a person you are, how great of a leader you are, and how honored I am to have you on the show. Well, I'm honored to be here, and I'm I'm glad. Just to share this rare air with somebody who makes me just feel better about uh, the evolution and progression of our planet and our country. Every time I talk to you, hear you speak, I feel better about uh, the future of things. So I'm just glad to be with you, brother. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. So let me ask you this question. You know what's coming. Okay. <laughs> what's the revolution, Jason? For me, it's equity, man. You know, uh, we've had a fight for equality. For a very long time, but equity has been elusive in this country. Mm. And uh, mm. Dr. Francis, Dr. Norman Francis, former president of Xavier University, the person who tricked me into running for office, uh, he talks about equity a lot and pounds it into one so that they finally understand the difference between equality and equity. So that mm. that, that is my revolution. Right, and, and, and that is a huge revolution. And we know that, as you said, equity is elusive. Meeting people where they are, giving them the needs that they have, needs that they, you know, what they need to actually not just survive, right. but to thrive. And prosper, that's right. It, exactly. And I know you will be working hard with our new mayor, Latoya Cantrell, on making sure that New Orleanians have an equitable Life. That's right. You know, that they can thrive in our city and that the city can grow. I know you're involved in so much, and we're going to get to that. But I want my listeners, and, you know, fortunately we have listeners all over the world now, Jason, um, to hear about you. So three words that describe Jason Williams. Um, passionate uh, in all things. Um, patient uh, with others and myself. Three, huh? Yeah, three. Passionate patience. You can go with that third P. If third, you one, <laughs> third one is going to just be creative. Okay. Um, right. You know, I'm, I'm, I used to paint. I still consider myself an artist. You know, I didn't think I could go into that line of work because struggling is usually in front of it. Right. <laughs> but creativity can help us in all things. Right. Uh, a lot of times we do the same thing over and over again because we were told that was the way it was done before we got here. And a lot of times it is not the best route. So I think creativity, creative. Right. creative. No, I, I definitely agree. And But still creativity and leadership, brother. You have to think about creative ways to lead our people, right? Creative ways to build bridges, to build relationships. Creative ways to paint that picture of what New Orleans is going to look like 5, 10, 15 years from now. And you do that. I'm trying. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so I, I just want to spend a minute. Um, I guess it's been about, um, has it been a week and a half, two weeks now? When was the inauguration? Mm, you know, um, so if anybody was at the inauguration or you saw the video, the live streaming, there was this man, right? <laughs> like, Mama, there go that man. <laughs> it was this man that was just walking across the stage in this beautifully tailored white suit, right? And I'm sitting there because, you know, I, I, I love a well-fitted suit, well-tailored well suit. So I'm going to, you know, I'm like, wow, okay. But... It wasn't just the suit, Jason. It was the swagger. swagger, right? I don't know if the kids are still using that, you know, it's this, this, the swag. And I was like, this brother is on it today. Like, really, there was a, you know, there was a smoothness about, you know, the way that you carried yourself that day. And I made sure we saw each other at the, the mayor's inaugural ball that night. And 
the, the swagger, the swagger. You saw the bow tie, exactly. Um, and we talked about that for a minute because I took notice of that as a black man. I took notice of that that this other black man, this other man of color, carried himself, comported himself in a manner that wasn't arrogant. So I want to put that out there. That was not arrogant, but there was a level of confidence. I was like, can I say Dan? I did. So, but I was just like, okay, this is where I want to be. So, ask this question: Where was it that day that you were feeling that way? Is that is that every day? And if it is, how did you get there? Well, that was a special day. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a special day, and I was very happy that day. I was very happy with myself, but I was also very happy for the people of New Orleans, and very happy uh, to the woman that was sitting on my right. you know, and I think you have to be happy with yourself and happy with the things that you have going on, but you have to also be able to share that other people's happiness as well. And and this country was not ready for female leadership, mm. uh, but the city of New Orleans was, in fact, ready for female leadership. In fact, they were choosing between two right. women. Right. Right. Exactly. So I was really happy with my people. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and I try to live my life like that. Um, you know, we all have rough mornings, sometimes <laughs> rough uh, middays and rough evenings. But if you if you walk around like you're having a rough day, then you will damn sure continue to have a rough right. day. No doubt about that. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, when Pharrell Williams came out with that song, Happy, I felt like it was made for me. <laughs> I really did. And I right. saw John Lewis, the man who's been through so much, beat down dancing to that song in Pharrell's video. It spoke to me. And, and brother, you know... I, I might get hit by a bus, uh, getting in the car, leaving BOK today. Uh, I'm going to go out with a smile on my face. Right. No doubt. It was it was a beautiful thing to see. And I said, I, I got to take notice of this because I think other people need to see that. You know, and sometimes people will misread that. Oh, this brother's arrogant. No, I didn't. I didn't take it. I was like, he's in his space. And too often I feel that as black men, when we, when we get into that space, we have to still hide it. Right. We still have to hide it because there are labels about oh he's hubris or he you know he's he feels like he's better than everybody else and no there was no hiding it that day and I and I, I, I love that why do you think that we struggle with that so much as men well you know I mean the South is is a bit of a rough place to grow up at times uh, you know. Um, People used to use terms like uppity Negro. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's nose was up in the air. And that was really, it really came from uh, a space of prejudice and a space of racism. Um, you know, I think about, you know, the men that I've looked up, up to, right? I used to watch Sidney Poitier movies to learn to walk, <laughs> right? No, no you, ever, you ever watch Sidney Poitier go up a flight of stairs? He didn't. He didn't struggle up the stairs. He glided right. up the exactly. stairs. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I remember when he, when when and, and, and when Mr. Tibbs slapped the police chief. Mm. Right. It wasn't because he <laughs> thought he was better than the police chief. It was because he was a man. Right. And I think that's important. And we have to, we have to believe in ourselves, mm. and we have to believe in our people, and we have to believe in each other, and we have to support them. Uh, in like manner, and and it goes back to that same happiness. 
and we've got to celebrate that. Right. In, internally and externally. Externally. You listen to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpor sitting here with the eloquent, esteemed, acclaimed president of the New Orleans City Council, Jason Williams, uh, as we talk about black men and their swagger and why that confidence needs to be exuded every day, no matter how we're feeling. Because we need to be able to show the world that no matter the the knives, the daggers, the bullets. Because they're coming. They're coming that are strewn, those big words, <laughs> towards us. We still have the armor to fight, fight them off. And it is just a pleasure to be able to see that. Moving on just a minute, Jason. Asking this, knowing that you have a variety of roles in your life. Father, councilman, attorney, husband, you know. Your wife, uh, Liz, would kill me if I didn't say that. She's a good <laughs> friend of mine. I love the work she's doing at New Orleans Therapeutic Day Program. I'm on the board, so happy about that. What's the greatest role that you have right now in your life? It's got to be father. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be father. You know, um, my dad and I are close now, but it wasn't that way when I was a, a young kid. Um, a black male has a certain lot in life. Mm. Um, you can figure out how to become a man on your own or through uncles or people you come in contact with or books or movies, what have you. Or you can have someone help you and set up a framework for you to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And knowing what this world will have in store for uh, the black boys and black women that I've raised and my daughter, she's 18, she's graduated Monday. Shout out to Zoe. Yeah, no doubt. Congratulations. Um, I, 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 it's my job to make not their lot easier, uh, but to give them a framework for success. Right. Um, you know, and so I think that's that's the most important role for any of us, even if whether it is your birth child or just somebody that that needs you. Uh, that's important. Right. No doubt. I think about it, as you said, that framework that Charles uh, Jr. has given me and and the blessings that for 47 years he's been able to provide, he and my mother partnering together, you know, and, and watching that, and now being able to then in turn give that back to him. Right. Yeah, give that back to my father. 89. 89, uh, that's yeah. a blessing. It is, it is a blessing. It is a tremendous blessing. Just got diagnosed with dementia, but still kicking, still doing his thing. And I love that we have developed that relationship, that my love for him now transcends everything else to make sure that he is healthy, that my mom is healthy. But if, like you said, that framework is not established there, um, would, I have, would I have wanted to go back? There are a lot of, lot of children who don't want to be around their parents. That's true. No. That's true. And so that's a, that's a wonderful thing that you say, Father, as we come up in a couple of weeks on Father's Day, you know, and thinking about that. Let's move into your role, another role, being a leader, a councilman, politician. You said... Norman Francis, that's right. former president of Xavier, motivated you to get into politics. What was that conversation like that, that really spurned you to say, you know, this is where I want to be? Well, you know, he, uh, he, he got a group of people together in the community, young people, and he developed the Norman C. Francis Leadership Institute, folks from all walks of life. And he just wanted to put them in a room to talk to each other and hear each other and see each other. But he also brought Marty Linsky down mm. uh, to, to, to teach his book, Adaptive Leadership, um, because a lot of times we don't have an accurate idea of what true leadership is and what it needs to look like. 
And Dr. Francis, in his office, it's about dusk, we walk, we walk him through campus. Everybody w- walks up. Hi, Dr. Francis. He knew everybody's name. Um, they want to take pictures with him. Uh, and we got up to his office. And we sat. No lights on as the sun was setting. He said, well, how much money do you need to make? You know, he's like, you've done very well. <laughs> how much money does one need to make before you start uh, participating and giving back? And I said, Dr. Francis, I give back. I take pro bono cases. I don't <laughs> charge everybody what it costs to do a case. He's like, no, but you can do more. You, As a lawyer, you represent one person at a time. But as an elected official, you could represent a city or a district. And we need more people to look at that work as service. Mm. He's like, you don't have to do it forever, but we need you in it. I got you. I got you. I got you. Yes, Rachel, I got you. I got you. Um, service. And that, that is an interesting thing. Service, like, like and, and it's a great question that he asks. How much money do you need to make? You know, and that service piece, because that's what it is. You are giving your time and effort and knowledge to lead. But it's hard getting into that space, brother. It is, but and and then once you get to that space, you fight to get to that space, mm-hmm. and then you have to do the work. Right. I mean, every listener right now, you, Rachel, y'all are my bosses now. Y'all are grading my paper daily. <laughs> Am I delivering on what you need? And 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 that is what this is. You know, people might put electeds uh, in front of a microphone or behind a podium or let you cut ribbons every now and then. But you work for the people. Can I say something? I had Jazz specifically turn my microphone on (laughs) just to say thank you. Because that, on a day-in and day-out basis, is something that the listeners and I worry about. That people that are elected to office miss the fact that I pay your bills. That's right. You work for me. I, you know, you got elected. You may not have necessarily, you know, gotten my support to get elected. But you work for me. Rachel. What? You didn't support me? No, but I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. just kidding. But you said, but, I, I but we I, talk I, about I, the, the fact exactly that big right. money comes exactly into right. elections, drowns out the voices of right. the people that go and actually live in the district right. and cast the vote. That's right. And a lot of times elected officials get away from that. So, Jazz, you can turn my microphone off. I'll be quiet. No, 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 no. I'm sure that that's you, real. you're going to ask some more questions. No, no, no. If my microphone's on, I can't say anything. But I just wanted to say thank you for that. You know, I, I think, and I'm going to say this, you know, and, and this is probably like that faux pas, radio faux pas, is that. <laughs> You know, the smell test, Jason, right? Maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's my not show. one of the seven dirty, so you right. can say No, it. but the smell test. And and my mother, being the wonderful woman she is, you know, she, she gave me this instinct, right? Because she she, she loves the smell test herself. She, she'd be like, mm, Chucky, I don't think you should have bring that, you know, person home, right? You know what I'm saying? He uh, has a smell detector out of this world. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and, and you know, my mom my, 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 my was like, you know, I don't know if – I don't really like that young lady, right? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, no, the smell test, right? And so I do the smell test with politicians. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, and it's about what I see, how I hear you talk, how you talk to me, right? right? And so that, that smell test, that scratch and sniff test, that smell test, you know what I'm saying? You're a politician, right? <laughs> I never get that. I, ne- I never get that. And... You may be the first politician we've had on my show, right? You're the first person, wow. politician I've ever heard, honestly, and I've worked with politicians for 20 years, and I've never heard a politician say, right. I work for you. I work for you. After they've gotten elected, by the way. Right, <laughs> exactly. And so how do, you, and how do you maintain that constant 
ideology that I am here and I work for you? Because some people get out of that ideology quick. How do you make sure that you maintain that? Well, for me, I, there, there's no other reason to do it but to deliver on that promise. Um, I mean, I found a good amount of success uh, in the legal world when I started my firm. I got into this for the same reason somebody might get into the Peace Corps, the same way that a waiter makes sure you have water in your glass of basic necessities. And, and, and it needs to be done with a smile. It, it is, it's, an, it's, it's an obligation, but it is also I'm honored to mm, do it. The humility that goes along with that. I'm honored. This is a privilege. It is a privilege. It is a Everybody privilege. doesn't get it. Right. Whether it's one term, two terms, whatever, it is, it is an honor and a privilege to serve. Right. And that brings up, before we go to break, this question that I have for you is that many times we get in office, and we get in office as men of color, but we're only there for one term. Mm -hmm. How can we shift that, right? So we're seeing more men of color, more women of color, right, having longevity, the longevity that you've had, right? Because I know in Virginia we've had city councilmen, we've had school board members, and they're there one time, and then they're gone. Without losing themselves, by the way. Right. If you Like, you know, you're gone or if you stay and right. then you just don't, you disappear right. from, from the public. How do you side? get reelected, Jason? You know, at, at the end of the day, um, you, you, you need to check your report card. You know, and, and, and when, you, when, when, when constituents are grading, if, if you get a C on something, you need to work harder in that class or in that district or on economic development or on affordable housing. And, you know, I've come on this show, whether it was with OT or some other folks on, on the station, and we're at grade C or D on affordable housing. And we got to double down on that effort. Right. But it, it is a constant self-assessment of am I delivering on why I'm there. Right, right. And making new leaders. That's the other part of it. It's not just about me, but I'm trying to find other folks behind me who can come up right, with the same Right, right. And that's the interesting piece. Like, we know that Good Brother Royce Duplessis is now, yes. right? Very glad to Yeah, no doubt. You know, and uh, again, Good Brother, the pipeline. How do we make sure, you know, as you said, you become the next Norman Francis and bringing that pipeline up of young leaders like yourself? What has to be done? How do we motivate people to get out of their headspace to say, I want to run for office? Well, you know, in Atlanta, and, and I spent some time in Atlanta after my parents got divorced, there was always a cultivation of the next folks, whether they were helping get something done, driving that initiative, and you saw them driving that policy. We got to do that same thing in the city of New Orleans. And, and so we started a, a leadership institute with high school students, uh, and we had them come before the city council. We've got to pull from colleges. We've got to pull from folks that are that are that have been in the professional world, and they might be thinking about politics like Royce. Right. Um, but but when they do, we got to support them. Right. We got to get behind them, and then once they get in there, we got to continue to support right, them exactly. to give them the tools and the, and the backup to actually push agendas and, and get it done. Uh, ex felons now have a right to vote. My mm -hmm. man Royce DePlessis was there for that. Right. You know, right. I mean, that is – those are the things that are going to be transformative change for this community to make mm -hmm. real equity. Right. I love that. I, I love that you said that because we talk about the band the box thing um, that has come about, that um, not being able to – not having to check that box. That's a strong policy initiative. I mean, uh, I was asked the other day, you know, um, thinking about policy, right, and – should programming or policy be at the forefront of foundations? And I said, 
policy because Absolutely. it's going to dictate how people behave for a long time. I can do a program. The program might be successful or fail, right? right? But this policy is going to dictate. Right. How people behave. It lasts past a personality or a term. Exactly, exactly. We're going to talk more with Councilman Jason Williams uh, about his passions and his policy after the break. This is the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporal. Join Southern Rep Theater in presenting the Community Power production All the Way, directed by Robert Shinkin, running May 16th through June 3rd at the Marquette Theater. All the Way, set in 1963, chronicles the tumultuous presidency of Lyndon B. Johnson and his work with Martin Luther King Jr. and many other of incredible leaders in their quest to pass the civil rights. You don't want to miss this compelling and historical drama. All the Way, at the Marquette Theater, running May 16th through June 3rd. All the Way. It's not personal. It's politics. Universal Printing in New Orleans East is the place to go for all of your digital printing needs. Universal Printing offers a wide range of printing services and promotional products. They handle everything from business cards to personalized prescription pads. They even print yard signs, banners, and vehicle magnets. Stop by Universal Printing at 9900 Lake Forest Boulevard in New Orleans East near Reed. Or give them a call at 504-244-1177. That's 504-244-1177. Come on down to Universal Printing and let the experts handle all of your printing, marketing, and promotional needs so you don't have to. The state budget crisis could decimate the new $1.2 billion University Medical Center. UMC is vital because of its combination of educating the next providers as well as delivering health care now. University Medical Center is one of the only hospitals to offer level one trauma and burn services along the Gulf Coast. It's about creating great quality of life and great jobs. UMC is vital. Contact your legislators today and tell them to fully fund the UMC. Visit umcisvital.org for more. Do you need help with a mental, addictive, or developmental disability? Are you uninsured, Medicaid eligible, or covered? If so, Metropolitan Human Services District is here to help. I am Dr. Rochelle Head Dunham, Executive and Medical Director for MHSD, where we provide expert care and resources to help you maintain your recovery. Make that first step. Call us at 504-568-3130 or visit mhsdla.org. MHSD is where we change lives. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. have become more interesting and informative here on WBOK Radio. That's when you can tune in to The Morning Cup with Warren Bell, bringing you the latest news stories in greater depth, plus my one-on-one candid conversations with newsmakers at the local and the national level. And, of course, we'll get you ready for the day with weather and traffic updates during the hour. So join us Mondays through Fridays, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. for The Morning Cup with Warren Bell. Brought to you by Metairie Bank, the bank of personal service. Looking for that perfect gift for a birthday, an anniversary, or how about just to brighten someone's day? Mona's Accents is your one-stop shop for beautiful floral arrangements that are indeed perfect for any special occasion. Dedicated to quality, freshness, and customer satisfaction, Mona's Accents will surely take care of all of your floral needs. So stop by the shop located at 2109 North Claiborne Avenue or call us at 504-944-7001 and let us arrange and deliver your floral gifts. Again, that's 504 504- 
949-444-7001. Or you can order online at www.monasaccents.com. Monas Accents, freshness, quality, and customer satisfaction guaranteed. WBOK, New Orleans. Welcome back to the Western Revolution Show. Continuing this conversation with the Jason Williams, president of the New Orleans City Council, sitting in with my producer and good friend, ally and sister, Rachel Graham, the man behind the wheels of steel today is Jazz. Oh, I forget your name. Uh, <laughs> Kendall, the jazz man. That's my band. That's my man. I appreciate you. Appreciate everything you do for this show, brother. It does not run without you. Um, Jason, let's let's get back into this conversation for a second. I want to I, I want to talk more about your passion and the work that you're doing. Um, one of the things that we've seen going on around our country, and it's nothing new, but I think with the onset of social media, uh, the 24-hour news cycle, we can get information at a clip, at a nanosecond, and we're seeing. Um, I don't want to say the increase, but the highlighting of police brutality. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk extensively about the ramifications of it. But we don't spend too much time about trying to figure out how to remedy it. Sure. Right. Um, Brother Wyatt Sinek, a comedian, um, sometimes on The Daily Show, has written and talked about and actually has put out a documentary um, that really looks at policing in our country. And one of the things that he talks about is community policing, right? And bringing police into the communities, uh, offering housing and housing rewards or housing stipends or free housing for police police officers to live in neighborhoods (coughs) where there might be, as they call, some unrest. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? And and what what might be some of the solutions that you think about to remedy – hopefully remedy some the instances that we're seeing around police brutality um, and police bias towards people of color. I I completely agree with that perspective and that approach. What I think it truly does is it tricks is a wrong word. It uh, promotes ways that force police officers to see people in the inner city who they are supposed to be serving as people, right? as human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it forces them to learn their names, to learn their brother's names, sister's names, to know who their parents are, to understand their condition, to know when this kid appears to be acting out that he's actually bipolar and there's a reason for it. Um, and, and that's what community policing does. Right. Forcing uh, the 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 people who will be doing the policing to first and foremost live with the people that they are policing. And then once once those things are in place, then they, they see them differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, grabbing for a gun is harder to do. Right. Uh, 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 allowing situations to escalate um, doesn't happen the same way uh, because now these now, – because they are part of that community, you know, and, and that is – that is, I think, I think that's the root cause behind his approach and his writings and documentary. And I've seen it in places. I've actually talked to a number of people about trying to set up a situation where uh, police officers could get uh, paid as they would a, a regular detail at a restaurant 
by coaching kids. Right. Okay. Right. right. And, 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 and so I'm in the thought process behind that and it, it's happened in some other cities. It's not necessarily a detail, but I, you, you want to, you want to, that financial support of a police officer, but it also puts them in a spot where they are actually learning the young people as they become men. And they do it together. Exactly, exactly. The wonderful guest we had on last week, Dr. Howard Stevenson, talks about um, the dehumanization that happens uh, when you don't know. Um, and you're, you're leaning on your bias. And That's I right. talk about a lot of that in my work, leaning on your bias to help you make those rash or irrational um, decisions. But the other thing that um, Dr. Stevenson talked about was this racial literacy. Mm-hmm. And it was a really, really good conversation that we had last, last week is that – you know, from a, a scientific perspective, when you're having that racial incident or that, that racial conflict that is happening and how the mind goes into that flight or flight response. And we, we think about, you know, what happened to Alton Sterling right. in, in that moment. If we take the time to dial back, right. right, to dial back, even though the conflict is there, if we take constantly, let me dial back. Right. The brain has a way of saying, okay, I'm a little less aroused and I can think clearly about this situation but when we have these racial conflicts our bias kicks in our fight or response kicks in right and then all of a sudden we see these incidents that are happening all over the country and what is the the common statement that we hear from police officers i feared for my life right right Right. to dial back for one second am i really fearing for my life or allow my bias to take hold and, you, and we always have to ask ourselves, at least as a lawyer, I do this, and now as an elected, I do this. But when I see these instances, now you can see them on, on clear HD video mm. because of how good cell phones are. You have to ask yourself, who created the exigency in this situation? Mm. Uh, oftentimes, the person who winds up dead was not the person creating the exigency. Who, 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 was, who continued to dial it up? Right. And it's a person who's supposed to have the, pres- the professional training who was dialing it up. Right. And, 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 and when, you, when it's cross-racial, uh, you know, then it, then it very quickly turns into, you know, it's either him or me. Exactly. And, 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 and that is not going to end well on, on any terms, regardless of who walks away from it. Right, right, I- I- exactly. The interesting thing, there was some research that came out a number of years ago when I was an academic um, studying hypermasculinity. And... and, and they did a study with police officers, um, and they looked at race, mm-hmm. right? They looked at the perception of race, and they intersected that with um, their levels of hypermasculinity. And and most people think that the the, the the results would come out that race was actually the the variable that indicated whether an officer was going to shoot or not. That was the outcome variable, whether or not an officer decided to shoot at a specific target that was race based. Ironically, it was not for the large part. It was not race. It was hypermasculinity. Mm-hmm. It was st- still in there. You still mm-hmm. have that intersectionality. But the larger variable was, <coughs> excuse me, was how I needed to exert my masculinity in this situation. That's right. And we see many of times that this officer, and not all, and we're not going to sit here and say that all officers are bad. No, Absolutely not. Not, I mean. not at all. I have frat brothers who are wonderful police. I have friends who are police. I support the police. And they all want to just go home to their family. A- exactly. Night. So we're not sitting there. But in some instances, we're seeing, at least, is that the escalator, right, the aggravator in this situation right. is the police officer. Right. 
And that, that exercising of hypermasculinity, right, exacerbates the situation. Right. And so we're saying, and, and, and what Mr. Sinek said, if you're in the neighborhood like you're saying, right, I know you, right? right? We got this relationship. I can build on this relationship. It may not always work. Right. But at least, hopefully, 80%, 75% of the time, we can have that conversation. Hey, bro, you know, that's not cool, right? You know, This is not cool, and you know the ramifications. We've built this relationship. You think about the relationship that you have with your constituency, why you're reelected time and time again, right? right? That's the relationship. Sure. People do better when hashtag relationships matter. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, hypermasculinity, we saw it in uh, – Radio Raheem's mm. Spike Lee. I mean, how, yeah, how old it. how old is that movie, Man, right? That's thirty years, right? right but so we flash we flash Why forward. Ask me? I wasn't alive then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you flash forward and you still see the same thing, like someone not willing to stand down and have things de-escalate. And it's just it's 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 crucial. It's crucial. Right, right. So in saying that, I know that you have been um, very outspoken um, about the Alton Sterling case. What's your perspective on Attorney General Landry's decision not to indict the officer? I, I think it was wrong. Um, I think if 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 that is a route that he was planning to go, he should have done it a whole lot quicker than he did because all he did was add insult to injury mm. to a family, to a community, and to a country. Um, so I, I am not a fan of his actions uh, in that. I think it was wrong legally, morally, uh, and ethically as being the most powerful prosecutor in the state. Right. Um, I do, however, have uh, nothing but high marks and high regard for Police Chief Murphy Paul of the Baton Rouge Police Department, who very quickly fired the officer who killed Alton, but reprimanded the officer who was with him who at some point in time was trying to de-escalate the situation right. because it showed uh, the nuance of that situation and rewarded good behavior but was very clear and certain on bad behavior. Right, right. No, and that's leadership. That's real leadership. That's leadership. And in this, how do I want to say, this tense racial time, it's going to take – leadership from all sides like that because you're seeing ag on one side chief on another who have to make critical decisions right. right and showing the leadership because that chief still has to go back into that community he's gonna go back in that community he's got to still lead that department exactly. and he's still got to answer to the mayor of baton rouge exactly those are those are all very real pressures mm, right Right. No, and, and and I love that. And it takes, you know, it's, it takes answering that question, what's my revolution for that chief to know that this is going to be a tough decision, but in my mind it is right and just. That's right. So in, in saying that, Jason, looking 5, 10, 15 years from now, and hopefully we're not having discussions like this on the What's a Revolution show, what does the future of policing look like to ensure, as you said, in your revolution, equitable outcomes are achieved for each person? Well, one of the things we're working on with the New Orleans Police Department is we have, and, I, and I've listened to you talk about hypermasculinity before, and, and I've taken some of what you've talked about to Chief Harrison, uh, to uh, some of the meetings with regards to the consent decree, 
and it's been very, very helpful. So to that end, it's not about being the toughest, baddest police officer on the force. It's about being the smartest, most well-informed police officer on the force. And so what we've done is we've had the police department combined with the Innocence Project Mm -hmm. uh, to work on different models of success for solving and closing cases, which does a couple of things. One, it uh, limits the the possibility in in times when the wrong person gets arrested, which creates distrust in the community. The other thing we have is a peer peer model of, of, of assessment with the NOPD. And, and the police departments are doing it for quite some time. We've got the FBI and other police departments coming to town to do it. But what it basically does is it, it challenges officers to tap another officer on the shoulder and gives them the tools to do it to say, Yo, are you sure you want to do that? Right. And then if, if, after, if that doesn't work, then it becomes you know you're not supposed to do that. And then it terms, well, if we need to talk about what you're doing. And the next step is, well, if you're not going to listen to a conversation about this, then I'm going to have to go to rank right. about it. Mm-hmm. And so that peer-informed model mm. um, sort of dials back that hypermasculinity and really shows that the police department is working towards a new model of success and what protecting and serving looks like. Gotcha. Gotcha. Rachel, you want to say that? Nope. Go no? ahead. <laughs> I'm good. You sure? I'm positive. Okay. I'm, huh. I, I'm trying to, like, into, like, discreetly move you along. <laughs> Thank you. I want you to get all the questions in because these are good questions. These are good, these are good questions. <laughs> if you don't have a great producer for your show, then you're. you're, you're I was trying I asked, to be undercover I asked her the other day, with it. Her handle by you, Lois Lane. I was like, "Who's your Superman?" I think I figured it out. <laughs> I think I figured it out. It's not me. <laughs> Look at that. It's, it, it is not me. It's, you He's know, more like my. What's the little photographer's name? Yeah, uh, Peter. No, no, that's Spider Man. No, that's right, Peter. Parker. But the little, pa- the little, the little. Photographer. We know. We know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it, exactly, it, exactly. No, I, I agree with that, and, and we have to be able to. You know, police men and women put their pants on just like everybody else, right? right? And in in home life, you have to make a decision, right, when to dial it back and how is it best going to establish a relationship, keep a relationship, keep you safe, different things like that. We need to be able to or we should be able to take that into our work right. as well. And we want, you know, as anything, we want people to be healthier, happier, and to live Longer lives. We know here in New Orleans and uh, uh, around the country that certain zip codes, right, Mm -hmm. certain zip codes, that there is a disparity in life expectancy. Absolutely. Right? And in communities where that disparity is low, sometimes it is their interactions with police that cause, right, and that's problematic. And we want everybody to come home safe. Um, You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpru, sitting here with the Jason Williams Councilman, President of the New Orleans City Council. Our time is running short. Jason, we've got a couple more things that I want to make sure that people know. You have been really busy over the last couple of weeks around rallying around your policies, right? One of them's, one of those policies that is really important to me is housing. Right. Big, uh, you know, I'm a homeowner, I'm a landlord, but I often think about the impact that Airbnb, um, the skyrocketing rent has on people who live in New Orleans, right. right? Affordable housing is key. It's the key to the longevity of New Orleans. That's right. What's going on on your front to ensure that our people have the ability to stay in New Orleans? 
Well, number one, uh, we in short-term rental is not the only issue that affects affordable housing, but it is one. Uh, and we, we, we commissioned a study by the CPC with the last council. Uh, we also are – this Thursday, tomorrow, there will be a moratorium on short-term rentals in neighborhoods, all right? And so that I mean, when you drive, you walk through certain neighborhoods. You might have one person living there, right? Uh, and and the issue is not one that short-term rentals just are bad by nature. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we cannot artificially drive up what it costs to what, what it costs to rent a home here, and what it costs for a family to buy a house to live in. Mm. I mean, it's an investment um, for a family, but all they're going to do is live in it, raise kids in it, have dinners in it, not get. $20,000 when somebody wants to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and, so, and we can't compete right. with San Francisco and, du- and Dubai resources to do that. So we got to make sure we protect that. The other thing that you're going to see tomorrow is I'm pushing to do a study on the Canal Street corridor because I think we might be able to use those short-term rental investors for the upper floors of Canal Street to bring back our Grand Boulevard, right, mm. and to give us – release some of that pressure – on the neighborhoods. Right. The other piece of it was the council before I got there voted to demolish the big four housing projects. Right. So whether you were in favor of that or against that, you can't take away that much housing without a plan to replace it and not create a, a, a housing crisis. Right. And it's not fair to say, oh, we got housing way out in the east or way out. These people were in high opportunity zones before. High opportunity zones. Live in the Iberville, walk to the French Quarter where they work. Live in the Magnolia, walk to Uptown where they work. Walk to school. So now transportation is falling down because we haven't had to have that level of mobility before. So we're putting measures in place uh, to, to, to get affordable housing in check and to get low-income housing in check. Because people get them confused. Affordable housing is for teachers, firefighters, police officers, council members. I was (laughs) going to say, the study that Housing NOLA did, it's impacting all income stratas in the city of New Orleans. So affordable housing is not just a poor folks issue. It's literally everybody. It's literally everybody. As I think think about buying a home um, in New Orleans proper, and what does that look like? for me, and as you said, affordable. I remember as a teacher, even in Virginia Beach now, I bought my first house on $29,000, right? As a teacher, my house was $81,000, right? I couldn't buy, I, look, on my, that salary now, I couldn't buy my, my house is, in Virginia has escalated. I couldn't buy that same house. Right, right, And most right. people can't. Right, and so how do we keep people, how, so I'm a systems thinker, Jason, so uh, allow my mind to work for just one second. Let's pull that back. If teachers can't afford to find affordable rents, affordable house, I mean, to really invest. And that's right. an invest. Like you said, I want to make an investment in the community that I work. That's right. I'm going to leave. That's right. And we can't afford for we, them to leave. We cannot afford for our valuable assets to leave the city. And, and the other valuable assets that come in and work that bring millions of people from around the world to this great city. That's absolutely right. And right. look, uh, uh, Ellis Marcellus says it best. Uh, in Europe, culture trickles down from the aristocracy. In the city of New Orleans, it bubbles up from the street. Mm. And so if we're not preserving and protecting the people who make the bubbles – then New Orleans will cease to be the coolest, hippest place in the planet. Right. And then right. what? I, I want to interject one quick thing um, on on the housing piece. Um, you know that the state legislature came back at the apple again mm-hmm. to ban local municipalities 
from um, doing like the smart housing mix piece right. where you require developers to preemption preemption right. to include affordable housing into into their work. Um, that bill, if I'm not mistaken, is still sitting on the governor's desk. Mm -hmm. Is there any effort on the part of the city council? I know that you know Housing NOLA and other folks have chimed in. Um, is there any work on the part of the city council to let the the, the governor know you really need to, to, to veto this? Well, I, I can speak for myself, and I can mm -hmm. tell you that I, I wrote a letter to the governor, mm -hmm. uh, working with Andrea Morris, working with Max, um, to just and look, I'm not trying to tell him how to how to handle the state. But they're I, trying to tell us how to handle the city. I, it goes back to, back <laughs> years ago when people used to talk about states' rights, states' rights. Mm -hmm. We need some city, city rights, rights. Right. because what works in Monroe is not what's going to work in the city of New Orleans. And all I'm saying is, let us do best for the people of the city. We know what what they need. We are responsible. We have a fiduciary duty to do that. So just take the handcuffs off, mm -hmm. and and let us put the policies in place that can help our city prosper. And and we don't want to do harm to any other place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know you. I, I know you. <laughs> I know you. I just want to ask him this one question. Good. Right. No, you no, can. No. It's your because show. It, it, <laughs> but we do this together. Um, but that housing piece also leads into health care. Yeah. And, and, and health care, you know, as we think, some of the disparities, the large disparities that we see right. in New Orleans, in Louisiana, and how we compare to other states around the country. Right. Um, how do we move, again, from affordable housing to affordable health care? And that's a, that's a national issue. It's all tied together. It's right. all about the quality of life and making sure that, 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 that local folks can, can have a good quality of life. And, and very recently, I'm not sure what day of the week, it might have been Monday, I had a press conference. I had uh, Councilmember Banks, Councilmember Kristen Palmer standing with me. Where we, where I had put a, a clarion call out the week before to hotel owners, restaurant owners, some of the wealthiest people in the city, asking them to come and work with with hospitality workers, service industry workers, and the and government to figure out a way to provide quality health care to hospitality workers. At the end of the day, uh, when somebody comes here to visit, uh, they interface with waiters, busboys, doormen, uh, first, last, and in the middle. They very rarely see a general manager. Right. These people are the ambassadors. Exactly. They have been carrying Louisiana, Louisiana and New Orleans, because New Orleans, I believe, carries Louisiana, on their backs <laughs> for a very long, long time. time. You look at that hotel, motel tax and where most of those, that money goes. So we've got to take care of them. Mm -hmm. So for the first 300 years of, of this city's history, um, it's looked one way. Hospitality has looked one way. I want to make sure that the, the 300 going forward, right. there is more equity in terms of who's getting contracts to service the linens or whatever else a hotel or restaurant needs, and to make sure that the people that may not make all the money, that make up the beds, that, that the line cooks, uh, the, the bartenders, that those folks have affordable health care, and I think we can put it in place. We have a, we have a musician's health clinic. Right. Uh, we have state-of-the-art health service providers in LSU, Daughters of Charity, uh, Tulane. I think we can put a piece together to make sure these people can stay healthy. Right. I don't think it's asking too Absolutely. much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And that's key. It's so key. If you pull it back, you, un, you know, as we say, go upstream, go upstream. right? Right to keep the revenue in the city, That's right. you have to have people who are happy and healthy and love what they do. It's not too much to ask. It's yeah. not too much to ask. So as we begin to close a little bit, um, what's your vision for your time as city council president? 
You know, man, I, I feel like the first four years went by so quickly. Um, and I know I said that uh, patience was one of the uh, terms that I, that I would use to describe me. I, I feel the need to be impatient because I know the clock is ticking. And I want to make sure that we put some real points on the board for the people of the city. Right. And when I say the people of the city, I mean the people that have been discounted and marginalized for a very long time. So whether we're talking about uh, gun control, affordable housing, uh, quality health care for hospitality workers, um, generally equity in every single area. We need to put points on the board for them, and we need to do it in a way that's going to be sustainable and institutionalized so it can't go away after this term, right. but it exactly. can last through different mayors and different council people, and then it can grow. The other big piece Early childhood education. Mm. We moved close to a million dollars for the first time in this city's history to early childhood education. So I hope we can add at least a million every year that I'm there, if not more, because the science is very clear that it it yields real dividends. It does. It does. And we have not spent a lot of time on that. And I know your wife, Liz Marcel, thinks, you know, she thinks about the, the whole spectrum. But that early childhood care and development is so crucial. You know, zero to three, the brain is exploding. So much, right? The only other time is is doing adolescence, and the brain is actually pruning at that time. But if if we can do so much for our children, learn language. Absolutely. Language is so big. I I tell you right, you said mind exploding. If I told you what you all spend your tax dollars on, where these tax dollars are going, how much of it goes to keeping people in jail and putting people in jail after they've made a mistake, that would blow your mind. It's lopsided. Because if you took a third of that and put it in early child education, we could do what Frederick Douglass has been asking us to do for <laughs> for years, which Kill is, em. you know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's, it's not too much. Exactly. I mean, repairing broken men is expensive. It's expensive. Especially when the system's not committed to repairing them, but that's a whole nother Right, exactly. Corrections is not correct. Right. $75,000 per inmate in California? And they said that that's actually conservative cost. There's a a friend of mine, uh, uh, Brother Mims, that calls all the time that says that's a conservative cost because it does not take into account that when you have long stretches, there is um, impacts on the body, which makes it more expensive because you have to provide them with medical care as well. And right. add to the costs that they can't provide for their families mm-hmm. and children exactly. while they're gone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, peeling, I'm peeling the onion. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My last question to you, and I, yeah. I just want to say I'm grateful. I'm I mean, grateful. The gratitude, hashtag gratitude is here, having you on my show. What's next in your revolution? <laughs> you know, I think that um, criminal justice um, in the South, in New Orleans, um, I think a lot of people throughout the country are looking to see what we do in New Orleans because they, they've, they're looking at our incarceration rate. Right. And we have gone from uh, over 7,000 people in our Orleans Parish jail, pre-trial folks, to close to 1,400 uh, what's next for me is making sure that we get equity in our criminal justice system right. by any means uh, possible uh, because we cannot afford not to do it. And I think if we do it right, we can return money to the general fund to go to building strong boys and girls. Right, and and that's exactly what we need. Um, moving people out of the justice system and into spaces that they're productive, healthy, wise. Right. right. Even, the Co- even the Koch brothers in on this. Yeah, right. no doubt, no doubt. You have been listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporal. My guest today has been Jason Williams. If you have heard it, 
Look, look this brother up. President of the city, New Orleans City Council, councilman at large for New Orleans, doing wonderful, wonderful things. Brother, I want to present to you so everybody sees you get the coveted What's the Revolution t-shirt. Thank you, brother. You and look, look, you gave it to me in a medium. That's perfect. <laughs> no. I can show off my arm. I love it. Thank you, me. brother. No, I appreciate you. Hey, everybody, we appreciate you. And as always, be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. Take care, everybody. What's your revolution, babies? Have a great week.